be seated. Luke 15, we'll look at the whole chapter this morning. It is quite a bit, um, but we've got to get through the book. So Luke 15, um, we're in a series on a life of Jesus Christ. We're uh, looking at not just his, um, like who he is and uh, what he has done, but also the things he has said about who he is and what he's done, the things that he's taught us, uh, his wisdom and his grace in his teachings and in his uh, parables as we come to passages like this. And uh, these parables stand at the heart of the gospel of Luke and at the heart of the whole gospel. I think um, these parables are probably familiar to a lot of us and they really are a place where, um, where you can turn and you can help a friend turn if uh, you want to understand what, uh, what the gospel is really about and what Christianity is about. So especially the parable of the... Um, the two lost sons, more commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, it, it really is a parable about both uh, the sons of this father who are being uh, told in this story by Jesus. Uh, especially this parable is at the heart of the gospel. It's been called the gospel in the gospel uh, for hundreds of years. And um, this chapter and this parable, uh, there's three parables here that we'll look at. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. But uh, these not only demonstrate Jesus' absolute genius. Have you ever thought of him? I mean, he's, he's a genius. His ability to tell these stories uh, that for thousands of years have been studied and never plumbed to the depths, you know. Um, he, it, it doesn't only show his genius, but it shows the incredible unexpected grace of God and the baffling joy that... Um, God takes in our salvation. So uh, that's what we're going to look at today is the joy that God takes in our salvation. I think that's kind of the main, there's a bunch of points that could be made from this whole chapter, but the main point is God's joy in our salvation. So we need to get started. Let's uh, pray and then we will read uh, Luke 15. <clears throat> Father, we know that um, this, your word, all of the scriptures, all of Luke's gospel, all of this chapter, these words that we will read, um, these are more than uh, what comes forth from merely human genius. Uh, Jesus certainly did have that and does have that, but it's your very word, and we want to take it as such. We want to um, sit at your feet and learn from you uh, what you as the one true living God would have to say to us, and so we pray that you would help us to, to listen and to hear what you have to say to us, that you would send your spirit to quicken our hearts and uh, unstop deaf ears, open blind eyes, to be able to see Jesus here, to see who you really are and what you've done for us in him in a way that transforms us into the likeness of Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brothers come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> we could spend uh, several weeks covering this chapter. <laughs> uh, all of it is tied together thematically by the setting, which comes in the uh, first just couple verses there, where it says the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Uh, and that um, tax collectors were the uh, traitors. Everybody knew these were the notorious, notoriously treacherous people who had sold out their country, Israel, to serve the Roman occupation. 
and, uh, and make their money, make their living by uh, engaging in the same oppression that was taking place by the Romans over the Israelites. And so the tax collectors were despised. They had sold out. They had um, betrayed their family. Right? And, um, and the sinners were all sorts of people. I mean, you might have prostitutes in here, but this might be people like shepherds who just have jobs that uh, make them unclean and unfit to come into the um, come into the temple and offer their sacrifices that they're supposed to offer. And so the sinners are just people who uh, really don't practice their religion like they should, at least. Uh, sometimes they're the really bad ones, too. But <clears throat> um, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives them, receives these sinners, and he eats with them. Uh, that's why he told them this parable, these three parables. Um, so first and foremost, these parables directly address the grumbly attitude. It's the grumbly attitude of the good, religious, righteous people who look down on others, who can't stand the fact that Jesus doesn't look down on others, doesn't share their sentiment about these other people. Uh, the fact that Jesus eats with these known sinners, and they're really some bad people, right? The, facts, the, the, the fact that he eats with them is scandalous, it's deplorable. He's receiving them. He's welcoming them. He's being hospitable to them. He's accepting them. And all of this is signified by table fellowship, right? I mean, you've probably heard before, ancient cultures, um, it really was a big deal. When you had somebody into your home and you sat and you ate with them, there would be exchanges of honors. And uh, it would be you're extending your, your hand to this person as you're important to me. And uh, you're, you're one of us. You know, you're receiving that person. And that's, I mean, that's not just ancient, right? That's still kind of true today. You're not going to have complete strangers and enemies probably sitting at your table. It's going to be your friends. It's the people that you care about and you receive them. Having people together at a meal is still a big deal. It's still how we express this kind of receiving of one another on a deep level. Uh, but especially back then, it was very important uh, to be receiving and eating with people. Um, Jesus is gracious. He's welcoming to people who don't deserve it. I mean, these, these really are people who don't deserve it. And he's being gracious to them, and that really bothers the people who think they do deserve Jesus' reception. They deserve to be at the table with Jesus. These other people clearly don't deserve that, and that makes us angry. Um, so the point of everything he's about to say is to entreat them, to entreat the self-righteous. Right? Uh, when we say Pharisees and scribes, we're not just talking about two narrowly defined groups of people that only existed 2,000 years ago or only in Israel, uh, we're talking about self-righteous people. Self-righteous because they're religious and they do it well and they look down on others who don't. Uh, that's who we're talking about. Self-righteous people. And the point of everything he's about to say is to entreat them to give up their grumbling and enter into his joy. Enter into his own joy in all of our salvation and the reconciliation that we have through his grace. So first he relates two parables, and we'll, we'll treat these more quickly than the third, but the, the lost sheep and the lost coin, they really are, uh, they, they really do go well together. They, they communicate clearly the kind of joy that someone has when something precious had been lost but then is found. Right? Very succinctly, very clearly, uh, very beautifully they communicate that. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country. That means he's probably, there's, there's a couple shepherds watching a flock this big, so he's not leaving them alone. Um, somebody else is there. He's going out to get this one. 
to go after one that's, that's lost until he finds it. You're going to do that. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And that's kind of a strange thing to say because everybody knows, apparently, if you're a shepherd and you've, you've lost your sheep, he's wandered off, uh, that sheep stubbornly just lays down and refuses to follow you. Like, doesn't, doesn't go when you've found it. You've got to pick it up and you've got to carry it back. And some sheep are heavy, right? So, but he's rejoicing at that, at the finding. Even though there's still a burden to be born, he's rejoicing at the finding of this sheep And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, probably because they've got a share in the flock, because a a flock that big, herd, flock, which one? (laughs) Flock, yeah. When you've got a hundred sheep, it's not just your family's sheep that you're watching, it's kind of the community, it's the village sheep. So so it's, it's a celebration that the whole community is going to engage in, right? It's joy that's shared by all, and he says, come share this joy with me. And he says, "Uh, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over that one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, right? This is a false category. This is who the Pharisees, who the self-righteous imagine ourselves to be. We're the righteous. We don't really need repentance. Um, But that's a false category. Or what woman, he continues, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, that's a big deal (laughs) to lose one of 10 silver coins, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found this coin. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one, who's, one sinner who repents. So the movement here is you don't have to be lost out in the wilderness to be lost. You could be lost right here at home. And the person who finds you, who seeks diligently for you and finds you, is going to have a joy that will be contagious and want to be shared with somebody. It's pretty simple to imagine the joyful relief at finding things like this that are precious to you. You've probably had to search high and low for your cell phone, right, or your car keys, or uh, your wedding ring, or your toddler, you know. Um, You'll go to great lengths to recover these things. Uh, you kind of be freaking out until you do. Um, and the parables imply that God goes to great lengths to rescue sinners. Uh, and the religious leaders were supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, right? Um, but they were like the shepherds that were condemned in Ezekiel 34, which we read in our Old Testament reading, um, because they didn't share God's own heart for, for the sheep. They're self-centered. They're, uh, they're not sharing God's heart for the lost sheep. And so God said, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And he said he would do this just a few verses later uh, by setting up one shepherd, his servant David. Right. So Jesus, the descendant of David and God himself in the flesh would be the good shepherd who would go to great lengths um, to rescue the sheep that belonged to him. And Thomas Manson, who uh, commented on this probably about 100 years ago, said, sinners really belong to God, despite all appearances to the contrary. Sinners really belong to God, and God himself wants them back and will take trouble to win them back to himself. So you know the feeling of relief, of deep satisfaction, of triumph and celebration that hits you at the moment of recovery of something that had been lost. Right? Uh, it's, a, it's a bundle of really good feelings. You know that feeling. When you find the lost, 
I bet if you're anything like me and you're the only one in the house finding something that you had lost, uh, you shout and you dance, right? The moment that you do, yeah, it just comes out, shouting and dancing. And, uh, and you want to share that moment with others and you tell other people about it, about that whole process, right? What do you imagine it was like when those rescue workers found the little boy in the mudslide? And that's the kind of scene that brings you to uh, tears of joy. <laughs> and that's the kind of joy that God has over sinners who repent, that God himself has over sinners who repent. It says in verse 10, there is joy before the angels of God. Right? Who is before the angels of God? If the angels of God are all gathered around God, then God is the one who is before the angels of God. And, and he's the one who joys, rejoices. So <clears throat> when really notoriously bad people repent, God is delighted. Jesus receives sinners and he eats with them. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know? And when people grumble about that, like the Pharisees and the scribes, like self-righteous people do, that, that shows a profound disconnect from the heart of God which his heart is a heart of joy over the salvation of sinners <clears throat> and so Jesus continues with one of the greatest stories ever told you can't plumb the depths of the parable I uh, wish we could spend more time in it uh, now we won't even ba basically scratch the surface if you join us for sermon discussion afterwards you know but um, he said so there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So, um, uh, Bailey, I'm spacing on his first name now, Kenneth Bailey, who uh, lived and he's, he's been teaching and living in the Middle East for, uh, sounds like most of his adult life, uh, wrote, wrote some good books that I've recommended before. Uh, he says about this, for over 15 years, I've been asking people from all walks of life, from Morocco to India and from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while his father is still living. And the conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? Well, this request means he wants his father to die. The father demonstrates almost unbelievable love by granting the request. Right? So the son comes and says, basically, I don't care about you. I want your stuff. Can I have it now? Do I have to wait until you're dead? I mean, that's not hard for us to imagine. Even now, in a culture where this kind of thing is maybe not as significant, even now, that would be pretty terrible. <laughs> a pretty terrible thing to say to your parents. <clears throat> and the remarkable thing is that the father didn't tear his head off, didn't beat him, that he actually divided the inheritance between him and his older brother. And um, just, just another thing to call your attention to, the older brother didn't refuse that. The older brother didn't... Uh, reject this publicly and say, look, younger brother, this is totally messed up. You need to be reconciled to father now. The, the older brother didn't do that. 
Right, so the older brother's relationship with the father, right from the beginning, is, uh, is not good. Right? Both, of, both of these brothers are lost. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had <clears throat> and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Doesn't say what that reckless living consisted of. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So for a Jew to go to another country and live is a betrayal of not just his father, not just his family, not just his uh, community, but also his religion, right? He's living among Gentiles. He's totally unclean. Um, and now when uh, things get rough <clears throat> and um, what would happen is if, if somebody wanted to get rid of you, they would assign you a task that you knew you, they knew you wouldn't do, right? Oh, yeah. You want to stick around and have me pay you? I don't want that. But uh, go out into the field and feed the pigs, right? And that's supposed to get rid of this guy, but it doesn't. Um, he is uh, stubbornly um, holding on to even his pride as he stays in the far country and, uh, and feeds these pigs. And, and what he's, <clears throat> uh, it says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And that means these little black bitter berries probably that the, the pigs were rooting around in these thorny bushes to get and could not in any way fill a man's stomach, right? Uh, he was longing. He was desperate. Things were terrible. And no one gave him anything, right? He's been totally rejected. Uh, he has nothing. When he came to himself, and this clearly from, uh, from what he says is not a full repentance, right? He's not fully grasping the the measure of his sin. Um, he's not fully understanding it. He's not willing fully to repent of all of it. Uh, but, but he does slightly come to himself at least. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants? And a hired servant is actually the lowest of any of the servants that you might have. Uh, lower than slaves. Slaves are better cared for than a hired servant. Uh, have more than enough bread and I perish here with hunger. I'll arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, yeah, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And he's probably referring to the fact that he blew all the money. Which is not the, the depth of his sin against his father. I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm not no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's trying to, he's, he wants to command his father to do that. Right? Um, and so he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So the fact that the father feels compassion is astounding because not only he and his whole family had been betrayed, but the, the community had been betrayed. And once this younger son starts walking back into town, the community is probably going to gather and maybe stone him to death right, uh, for his betrayal because he's really a bad person. He really is a notorious sinner. But the father felt compassion and he ran and no dignified man in that time would run and he kissed him which was a sign of his full acceptance right and he does this publicly he does this out there so that the town can see they're not supposed to stone this guy <laughs> right they're not supposed to kill him and reject him because look the father has welcomed him back in and uh, and the son said to him this is the moment where he's actually been changed 
this is of real repentance because he leaves off the bit about treating me like a hired servant, right? He just says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's all he can say. And that's all he says for the rest of the story. But the father says to his servants, you bring the best robe quickly. It's my robe. It's the robe for parties, right? Bring, bring my tux and put it on him and bring the ring, the signet ring, you know, the one that you press in the wax and, um, you know, it's, it's the one that the master of the house wears to, to guarantee he's like taking his word. So he's trusting his son with, with his own status almost and then uh, and put shoes on his feet. And so the servants are supposed to put shoes on this dirty beggar's feet. And, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Right? This is no small meal. This is like, this is the kind of meal that you prepare when 100 people are going to be eating immediately. Um, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. So get the whole town together, basically, for this party. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So it's good, right? This is really good. We can sense and if you have any concept of your own sin before God and you feel God's uh, full acceptance and favor beaming down on you like this is pictured here, then you, you know that celebration and gladness is good and right. And it's not just something that you do. It's something that we all participate in as a community, right? The community is supposed to have a party. It's supposed to have a feast. When sinners repent, it, it really is a joyful occasion the older son was out in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, probably, it was actually probably one of the children, one of the children who wouldn't have been in the party, um, but would have been outside playing, but um, he called him and asked them what these things meant, and Kenneth Bailey says, uh, true to his character, the older son is initially suspicious. A son with a normal relationship to his family would enter immediately eager to join the joy, whatever its source. He is unnaturally suspicious. He doesn't know that his brothers come home. He doesn't know why there's a party going on. And if uh, any of you with a normal relationship with your family got home, big party, you walk in, you're like, yeah, what's this about, you know? Um, and he's suspicious from the start. And... <clears throat> And this uh, boy, or the servant, uh, says, said to him, your brother's come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in, uh, which really does, uh, I think, reflect some of our attitudes. When we, think of, uh, when we think of people that we know that were notorious sinners that now have been saved by God's grace. You kind of get a little bit upset about that. Do you kind of want to distance yourself from that and not enjoy that as much as you probably should? Um, we know what it's like to be angry about things like this. But his father, instead of coming out, because what he's doing here when he refuses to go in is that he now is publicly shaming his father. He's saying, Father, I... I don't agree with what you're doing. And it's my place to come in and have a good time and to talk with all the guests. It really was the place of the older son to, to kind of schmooze at parties like this. 
Um, but he was, he was publicly calling attention to the fact that he was at odds now with his father. And his father, again, in this society, probably would have come out and beat him and scolded him and said, at least, you're going to get in there and have fun, and we'll talk about this later. Right? Um, but he came out and he entreated him. He entreated him, the self-righteous older son. The father comes in love and entreats him. And come, come and enjoy this with us. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. Right? I've, slave, I've, I've been a slave. He views his relationship with his father as a servant relationship not the, the relationship that a son has. I never disobeyed your command. You know, he's doing that right now. Right? You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends because the things that are important to me are not celebrating with you, not being with you, but maybe having a little bit to go out with my friends. So he really is the same as the younger son. Right? But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes. He's assuming that. I mean, he's throwing his, his brother under the bus here because he hates him. You killed a fattened calf for him? That's, and he said to him, instead of, <laughs> you know, instead of uh, killing him like he deserves, <laughs> basically, instead of uh, cutting him down, casting him out, he said to him, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You're not my servant. You're my son. Everything I have is yours. It was fitting to, be ce to celebrate and be glad. It was fitting. For this, your brother was dead and he's alive. He's lost and is found. End of parable. What's the response of the older brother? We don't know. What's the response of the older brothers to, to the father's plea to celebrate and be glad? We don't know. What's your response? That, that's kind of the end of the story, right? What's your response? The point of the parables is the joyful love of God. It blows our minds. We can barely apprehend it. The joyful love of God in finding the lost and then beckoning the hard-hearted to join him in his joy. That's the point of the parables. Are you refusing the invitation because you cannot stand to be associated with sinners? Do you resent outsiders when they become insiders by God's grace? Do you resent God's grace for that? Or do you rejoice over the salvation of sinners? Because you know that it reflects God's grace to you. Because you're a sinner, right? Do you truly celebrate God's grace to you in making you not a servant, not a hired servant, but a son or a daughter through Christ? Isaiah says in his prophecy in chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. There is no 99 who are righteous, who don't need repentance. Right? 
there are no people who are not utterly at the mercy of God's grace when it comes to being made right with God. Maybe you're like the younger son, you're destroying yourself with your selfishness. Maybe you're like the older son, destroying yourself with your self-righteousness. Either way, you're destroying yourself. In and of yourself, that's what you're doing. You're destroying yourself, and for your part, you have rejected your relationship with God, and you've ruined that relationship for your part. The good news is that God considers it worthy of celebration and gladness to take the burden of your salvation upon himself. He thinks it's worthy of celebration and gladness to take the burden of your salvation upon himself. Jesus ran toward you, and he suffered public humiliation in the process. He even gave up his own life to find you and bring you home to God, not as a hired servant or as a slave, but as a son or a daughter. God has not only loved you with an unexpected love, he has rejoiced over your salvation, and he calls all of his friends together for a feast to celebrate at the repentance of sinners. He feasted with us sinners when he was on the earth, when the the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, had come to the earth in the flesh. He feasted. He received sinners, and he ate with them. He drank with them. He was called a glutton and a drunkard, probably not so much because of what he was eating or drinking or the quantity of it, but because he was doing it with sinners. And he feasts with us now, spiritually at this table. He feasts together with us, and he has promised the feast of all feasts in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the kind of God he is. That's who Jesus reveals him to be. That's who he really is, this God who rejoices over you with loud singing. Jesus then attracted outsiders. He received them. He ate with them. He attracted them. They were flocking to him like sheep, right? He attracted outsiders. Do we do that? Jesus delighted to receive them and eat with them. Do we delight to receive and eat with people? People who are not very different from us, with sinners. Do we do that? Would anyone accuse you of eating and drinking and partying with sinners? Would anyone accuse you of that? Um, People don't like the church because they think that we're a bunch of older brothers. Because we're a bunch of older brothers. They think that we despise outsiders because we despise outsiders. That's what we're like. Our joylessness You might lack joy for a variety of reasons, but if you're anything like me, when you're joyless, it doesn't reflect Christianity. It reflects uh, a legalistic view of your religion, that you're God's slave, and you've got to perform to get what you think you deserve. And you're probably not doing that, so you're joyless, right? Our joylessness doesn't reflect Christianity Our joylessness doesn't reflect our Heavenly Father. It doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. It reflects our hard-heartedness. And these parables were written to us to invite us to the party. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, sometimes it's hard for us to, um, to receive your grace because we would rather not need it. Uh, we think we don't need it. We think we deserve better than that. And um, we are, of course, always wrong. And uh, you, you uh, continue to entreat us like this father did the older son to not immediately cast him out, but uh, to beckon us to enter into your joy. Uh, the joy of your grace, the joy of your love. And so we want to be part of that party. We, um, we want to be taught uh, how it is that you feel when you celebrate over our repentance, how it is that you uh, delight to find that which had been lost. And we want that to be our joy, and we want to um, extend that joy as we extend your grace and love to other people around us. We want to be the kind of people who are who are like Jesus, who are accused for having received and eaten with um, sinners. So we pray that you would make us that kind of person by um, granting us a deeper faith and being changed more and more by your grace and even your joy in our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.